Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in. This is the Thursday Deep Dive. Uh, my name is Brett Schaefer. I'm here with Ryan Henderson and Ian Gray. Ian, how are we doing today down in Arizona? Doing well. Yep, doing well. Yeah, both our uh, NFL teams are out of the playoffs, so not much sports to watch over the next few months. It's tragic. Uh, it's going to be all investing all the time, right? Uh, yeah. But first, before we get started, we're talking about Bumble today, pre-IBO company, but one that I think a lot of people are interested. You wanted to talk IAC. I, I did, yeah. I made a uh, last-second audible, and yeah. you weren't happy. Uh, you made a strategic decision, but <laughs> we can talk IAC another time. Uh, but first, we got to talk about our friends at Seven Investing. What analyst do you want to talk about today? We want to talk about someone like Matt. You know, he's the one we know the yeah. best. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's we called him. I think uh, PBF podcast best friend. Yeah, uh, he's been on the podcast the most times. Uh, but yeah, he's like a fintech expert. Mm-hmm. He really knows that industry well. Uh, I always look forward to it. I mean, I look forward to all their analyses, but. Uh, I yeah, really definitely. look forward to his because that's sort of an industry that I uh, usually like to follow. It's exciting. Definitely a fintech expert and more of a standard. He leans kind of more towards the standard value. You yeah, know, it's hard to describe that someone with on that spectrum, but you know, kind of more towards the value on that spectrum. And if you want to be a member of Set Investing, you can get ten dollars off with our code CCM um, at checkout. Seven bucks for your first month. All right, Ryan, you want to talk about Bumble? Sure. So uh, currently, and Bumble just filed their S1, so they are not public. Uh, what are we doing? Like guesses for valuation? Yeah. So I have the two questions on valuation are, uh, what will the valuation be that you would be interested in? And what valuation do you think it will go out at? So two separate questions should be fun to talk about. Okay. Uh, but currently, Bumble operates two separate dating apps, actually. So it's Bumble and Badoo. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Maybe it's Badoo. But uh, Bumble itself is a woman-centric dating app. So women have to make the first move. And there's actually 30% more women than men on the app. I don't know if they just put that on the S1 so that more men would join. But uh yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's a good free customer acquisition. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Badoo, on the other hand, is more popular in Europe and Latin America. And it's actually been around for a long time. They were really one of the pioneers in online dating, but but they're, they're sort of more mature now. Bumble's growing much faster uh, than Badoo. And combined, the two have more than 40 million monthly users, and they monetize those users through a freemium model. So the app is free to use, but there are certain in-app features that cost money, and that can, they say, it can provide a higher chance of connecting with someone. Um, and their subscriptions, which can give you easier access or more choices, that kind of thing. But then there's also these a la carte features. So if you matched with someone and then you like unmatched, uh, you can pay like $1.99 to go rematch. That's kind of the in-app 
one-time features that I'm talking about. Um, but the history about the company is actually really interesting, uh, kind of an intriguing story. It was originally founded by Whitney Wolf Heard in 2014 after she left Tinder. Uh, she was the former VP of marketing at Tinder and an early employee, but her departure was pretty messy. And uh, after leaving the company, Whitney filed a complaint with California courts, citing she was sexually harassed and discriminated against at work. Honestly, from the outside looking in, it seems like Bumble was built as a counter to Tinder. Spite. Got a lot of spite. It sounds like it was born out of spite. Um, And she even took some shots at Tinder in the S1. I have a quote here. It says, Bumble was founded because we noticed two different yet related issues in our society, antiquated gender norms and a lack of kindness and accountability on the internet. We observed that women were often treated unequally in society, especially in romantic relationships. At the same time, social networks created possibilities for connections, but they were focused on connections with people you already know and lacked guardrails to encourage better behavior online. Sounds a bit like a shot at Tinder, uh, maybe dating apps in general, but uh, Bumble was a success and it grew really fast. Uh, It seems like she was really good at marketing uh, and it also just happened to have really good product product market fit. I'm sure she was probably thinking about this while she was at Tinder. Uh, And in January of 2020, there was a merger between Buzz Holdings and Worldwide Vision Limited, which it looks like are just the parent companies for Bumble and Badoo. And the two are now incorporated under the Bumble brand, but it made the financials pretty messy. And it looks like there were a lot of expenses related to that merger that contributed to their switch from profitable to unprofitable over the last nine months. Uh, Because if you're looking at that, you see the full year stuff for 2019. You're like, oh, that was a hell of a year. And then you look at the last nine months, very unprofitable. Um, and another red flag that I thought was a red flag was it said on October 26th, they uh, changed their auditor. Yeah. Uh, but turns out they brought, it, that was for, that they used Ernst & Young UK. That was just for the 2018 and 2019 numbers of Badoo. Uh, uh, and then yeah. they used... Ernst and Young U.S. Uh, for the combined financials and for Bumble, so it kind of it, it made sense. It just looked like a red flag on the surface, but yeah, that's pretty much all the history. What they do does that all make sense? I mean, it's pretty intuitive, but yeah, yeah. fascinating tale. And maybe it'll they'll have a documentary one day, see who actually wins and becomes the uh, number one app. But I'll, I'll talk about the industry landscape and competition. Uh, you know, you can group the company within the online dating sphere uh you know there's web based things and there's app based thing they've essentially merged into one industry over time online dating as a whole is growing quite rapidly i think we all know that uh all other forms of meeting people for dating uh at least according to surveys are declining and online dating is the only one that's totally skyrocketing so it's taking the entire market by storm at least over a longer period of time i think i mean if you look back over the last decade you can see just tremendous growth rate uh, and the market is estimated to be around $3.2 billion in revenue in 2021, with a majority of the revenue going to Match Group. So they're very dominant in this space. Match Group is Bumble's biggest competitor, and Tinder is the Bumble app's biggest competitor. So Bumble as a whole, they're competing with Match Group, but Bumble versus Tinder, the two apps, those are kind of the big competition. I know Hinge gets tossed into there, but it's a little different. Yeah, I think it's Tinder one. Uh, Bumble 2 and Hinge 3, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, and that's a big, uh, it's a wide gap between 2 and 3, at least right now, although Hinge is going quickly, but that's not what this is about. Uh, Market penetration is pretty low overall. So at least for paying users, I think it's below 5%, even the United States, which is the most mature market. And that is expected to grow at about 10% 
uh, for the foreseeable future. Although, again, you know, we always take these with a grain of salt just because someone projects that it's going to grow doesn't mean it's going to actually grow. Um, and lastly, it should be noted that a lot of people use multiple dating apps. So just because someone has Tinder does not mean that they won't also have Bumble. A lot of people have both. It's just what everyone has the better value proposition at the moment. Um, and it's it's unlike a, like a Spotify subscription or other subscriptions where it's you only need one and you get everything. You know, there, there's value people have for going to both. I think it's a bit like gaming. Like most people don't only play one game uh at a time, I mean, at the exact time they do, but usually they're filtering between multiple games. Uh, you can't play all the games or you can't be on all the apps just because it's a little too time consuming. But yeah, most people, uh, I imagine if you're on the dating scene, you have multiple apps at once. Definitely. All right, Ian, you want to talk about management and ownership? Yep. So like Ryan mentioned, uh, Whitney Wolford is the CEO and founder. She founded the company back in 2014 after the fallout from uh, Tinder. She originally was actually looking to do like a, a female only social app, which is kind of interesting. And then ended up talking with someone who became an investor and converted it to this idea of a dating app. She's about 31 years old, um, definitely a younger founder, but she's also very accomplished in the industry um, with her success with Bumble and also her career at Tinder for a couple of years. Uh, she said that the model is based on the idea of the Sadie Hawkins school dances where the girls ask guys to the dance and just that that's kind of the, that's been popular in schools and thought, and she thought it would be popular um, as an app as well. One thing to note about the ownership structure is that uh, in 2019, I believe Blackstone took a majority stake in the company from a previous majority holder who had about a 79% stake in the company after he had allegations of misconduct. And so that's when private equity entered the picture. And um, like I said, Blackstone took a major piece of the company as part of kind of an effort by them to um, diversify into higher growth um, opportunities through private equity. So um, it has this PE backing at this point, um, which will make, which will be important as we look at the uh, balance sheet as well. But she received about $125 or sorry, $125 million payout as part of the, uh, sale to Blackstone and part of a kind of a recapitalization of the company. So again, I'll get more into that in the balance sheet, but she seems like kind of um, a great example of a mission first founder and how that can sometimes lead to a company that's uh, really lucrative for shareholders. So just that there's some companies that you think are really mission focused, but don't really generate profits. Um, this is a type of company that I think its mission and trying to be woman led and woman first really leads into creating a little bit of a competitive advantage for the company. Yeah. She tells a good story or they, they tell a good story. Yeah. It also, it kind of feels like stakeholders over shareholders right now uh, at this point in their life cycle, just because, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes when you're really focused on the stakeholders, you can uh, get good returns, but yeah. Uh, and I, I just add one thing to that. I think that's, this is an interesting situation where sometimes we hear stakeholders over shareholders and that makes me a little bit skeptical. But in this case, um, I think putting stakeholders first really generates those, um, is yeah. generating potential returns for long-term shareholders. Yeah, and the, it looks like, it, I mean, it helps with the quality of the business and their unit economics or whatever, you know, all that stuff, their margins look pretty good. I mean, very similar to Match Group, so, so no complaints there. All right, I'll get into the valuation. We're pre-IPO here um, and it should go out in the next month unless they you know, see some sort of not 
enough demand or too much demand or they don't want to price and actually go public. So we don't have real valuation numbers, but we'll play the prediction game after this. Um, I just want to do a quick comparison with Match Group. So Bumble has about 2.4 million paying users. Match Group at the end of the same time period had 10.8 million. So that's about 22% of the total users for Bumble. Uh, it's not apples to apples because there's you know growth that has to be priced in or the type of apps matter, uh, ARPU, stuff like that. But if the market gave Bumble the same subscriber multiple for paying users as it does to match, it would have a market cap of around 8.5 billion. Uh, and after that, what do you guys think? What valuation would you be interested in Bumble at, if at all? And what valuation do you think they will go out at? Uh, Ian, do you want to go first? Sure, I can go first. So I think I'd be very interested in the company if it got out at about a $5 billion valuation. Um, you know, that puts it at about 10 times sales. Um, and I think, you know, Bumble's growing quicker than that, but it's, uh, or sorry, Bumble's growing quicker than the overall business, but I think that's a, a fairly fair um, valuation. I think it's probably going to get out somewhere closer to 20 times sales and kind yeah. of the $10 billion range, but yeah. Ryan, what you got? Uh, I mean, I think it will get like a very similar, similar multiple to match because this is like one of those businesses that has a very direct comp for people yeah. to look at. And so they're like, they're just going to price reference off of match. Uh, and the growth rates for the combined entity of bubble, Bumble, so Badu and Bumble or whatever, over the last nine months, I think has actually been pretty similar uh, to match group. Yeah. So I wouldn't, yeah. I would be surprised. I'd be surprised if we got a premium over match considering the match is a little more profitable over the last nine months. Um, I don't know. I, I would I'd be, yeah, I'm probably in the same category as Ian. Below $5 billion is exciting to me. But. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. I think it might go out at a higher valuation. No, I think I predicted like $12 billion just because people see that Bumble growth, re the, sorry, Bumble's revenue growth at like 70%, which Ryan will probably get into. But, that, that's, uh, but that's on its own, right? That, that that's, and it's it's gonna not 70% anymore. It's like 30%. Oh, for 2019, sorry, right? Yeah. I, I guess if you do... The 2019 numbers at 70% over the last nine months versus the nine months prior, it's like 30 something percent, I think. Okay. Yeah. I still, I mean, that's growing faster than match. So they might put that as a premium just because they think that Bumble could, you know, it's going to be the majority of the revenue soon. But I don't know. I'm also kind of just thinking with this market, with this IPO market, I would not be surprised if it went out of 12 billion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to be able to predict the valuation on day one. Uh, but should I get into the earnings? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give the last nine month numbers, but remember the merger was completed on January 29th of 2020. So that first month, the month of January was not the combined entity, but I'm taking the combined numbers, if that makes sense. So they had 416.6 million in revenue for those nine months, up 15% year over year. 61% of the revenue is from Bumble, 39% is from Bidu and other revenue. Bumble specifically was growing revenue at about 25% year over year over the last nine months. So significant slowdown from that 70% number. They The combined company had a net loss of 116.7 million for the period. Uh, that's gap, obviously. And then versus 69 million in net income from the prior year or the prior period, 
Big difference between their net gap numbers and adjusted EBITDA because of those one-time merger-related expenses. They had about 26% adjusted EBITDA margins. Uh, Take that with what you will, but uh, that's sort of their adjusted EBITDA numbers for the last nine months. I know that seems like a huge difference uh, between that and gap, Um, but pretty much cash flow break-even for the period. Uh, In 2019, though, if you're looking for a normalized year, they had about 20% free cash flow margin. So, it's a it's it's a high margin business, yeah. Naturally, um, but there were those one time expenses that really hurt them this year. And then, and as of the last reporting date, the combined company had forty two million total MAUs and two point four million paying users. Most actually coming from Badoo, but Bumble's average revenue per paying user is like twice what Badoo's is. So that's why they comp, that's why they make up so much in revenue. I would say it's worth noting, don't compare apples to apples paying users when you're looking at Match Group and Bumble because Bumble includes anyone that uh, purchased a subscription or an a la carte feature. And a lot of people just purchase like a la carte features, one-time things without actually buying the subscription. Match Groups are average paying or average subscribers. So it's only subscribers for that period. Uh, yes. Not a la carte features. Yeah, and they do their ARPU differently. So you're going to see their ARPU for match group be below a dollar. Uh, and that is because they, they put it over their entire user base and they have like over 500 million or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So theirs is less than a dollar and Bumble's is over like 25 or something like that. That's just because they're using it too differently. I'd assume that match group with their paying users would be quite similar. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I mean, I don't, I'm not on Bumble, but I assume the subscriptions are similar cost. Yeah, very similar price. All right. Ian, you want to hit balance sheet? Yep. So with these pre-IPO companies, that we've, we've done a few of them now, but you always are going to want to check these balance sheets again once they make their first report post being public because there's a lot of like restructuring involved and, and things that go on when uh, a company goes public. But as of now, they have about $100 million in cash, a little more than that. Once they get the proceeds from the IPO, that's likely going to be between 200 million and 250 million. Um, they have a significant amount of debt on the balance sheet, about 825 million dollars of debt, and that's partially due to a payout to the owners, including um, Blackstone, and then also uh, the CEO. She received about 125 million dollar payout um, related to kind of the merger. So it looks like. This is a little bit of speculation for me, but it looks like they did basically a dividend recapitalization. And so they took on some debt to pay out some money to the shareholders, um, which oftentimes happens with these types of PE deals. And so, um, again, you're going to want to take a look at this balance sheet once they go public to see exactly how it all shakes out. One other note I'll make is they have a significant chunk of intangible assets on their balance sheet, including they're valuing their brand at about $1.4 billion, which seems a little bit, um, it just seems a little bit high. I don't love to see stuff like that on a balance sheet because it seems like, do you really need to put that on a balance sheet? I assume they put it there because of this um, debt they raised so that they could do the payout and that it made the balance sheet look better. They said, hey, we can get a fair value on our brand and then we can uh, loan money out against that. But um, anyways, not a great, not a huge red flag, but just something that um like I said, I assume it's due to some of this debt financing that they were doing, but um, not something I love to see. Yeah, that does, that does seem a bit aggressive uh, for 1.4 billion, especially when if you compare it to Match, Match has a lot less. That's like right? more than Bumble's all-time revenue. 
Yeah, it, it's it's definitely aggressive. Uh, and yeah, the balance sheet is probably not as healthy as that, you know, would make it out to seem, right? Wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to hit an ad break and then we're going to get right back into the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. First up will be competitive advantages. Uh, Ian, what do you got? Yep. So one is kind of an obvious one, but they have scale. They have some network effects with apps like this that are these networks and these dating type apps. You have to have enough people on it that people actually can match with the right people and that it's a good experience and all that type of stuff. So it creates a little bit of a barrier to entry for um, or at least it makes it hard for new apps to really enter the market and gain a lot of market share. And they've already reached that point where they have network effects. So it's a competitive advantage against incoming players, not necessarily against the incumbents. Yeah, they don't have that advantage versus someone like Tinder, uh, but it's really hard to replicate Bumble unless you put a lot of investment into it. Yeah, and, and to Ian's point, the marketing strategy is focused around college campuses and people are like, well, so is Tinder. That was uh, Whitney Wolf Heard who deployed that marketing strategy mm-hmm. at Tinder. I think that and or she the started, other early employees. Yeah, but, she started it or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's had a lot of success with that. And I think that's definitely the way to, I mean, that's the target market almost. So, uh mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely the way to grow, I'd say. Yeah. All right, you want Ryan. Me to go yeah, yeah, you got yours first. All right, the female first brand. Um, that's they've really be they've really built the first one. Uh, it's really just female centric all the way around. There's 30% more female users than male. Women message first. Female co-founder. 73% of the board members are female. Uh, I just I think this is. Hopefully, if you're using the app, you feel less exploited on an app like this if you're a girl or a female uh, than on something like Tinder. But at the same time, uh, I'm not sure users really care what the board of directors looks like. Uh, I I would say it's hard to replicate that. I I don't think people could just come in and say, well, we'll be woman first also. Uh, I I think Bumble is the first one to it and they can kind of keep it. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. All right. I'll hit my competitive advantage. You know, I think they might have a focus one. We talk about that a lot when people are competing with big tech. Uh, But, you know, you look at someone like Match, they have a diversified set of apps. Uh, They don't need them all to succeed, but they're not focusing all their resources on one. Uh, Bumble, you know, they have that focus on one app that I bet the majority of their resources are going into Bumble itself. Uh, You know, they have the narrative around them being female or female friendly. And then they have the founder CEO to tell the story, which can be helpful because Match Group, you know, is a part of IAC. Um, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, I think their management team is good over there, but it doesn't have that same, I don't know. People fall in love with the founder CEO story. And I think that can be helpful, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for focus, I guess. Uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, again, they have to get Bumble right then. Yeah. Uh, future growth opportunities. Ian, you want to go first? 
Yeah, I can hit it first. So I think they have some potentially unique monetization opportunities, particularly, and I know they've dabbled in these, but like in-person events or experiences, even stays and trips like at hotels or vacation experiences. Because as I was thinking about it, who has more data on dates and relationships than Bumble, than, uh, Bumble and Match Group? right? They just have a ton of data there. And so I think there could be a lot of unique ways to leverage that data other than just their primary um, matching function on these uh, uh, for these dates and relationships. Um, kind of a comp I was thinking about, and I know it's always hard to compare things to Amazon, but Amazon has expanded into many different markets because it has a lot of consumer data. I think the same potential may apply to something like Bumble or Match Group as well, that they have all this information on relationship data and that they could use that either to sell it to other third parties, partner with like, you know, booking.com and say, hey, if we get someone to like um, take one of your hotels, we get a little referral fee, whatever it is, right? Like, I think there's some oper- some unique oh, opportunities that's, that's because a, of how much data idea. they have. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, I never, I never thought of that before. Discounted one night stands. Yeah, the uh, well, it seems uh, in general that a lot of these dating apps, yeah, they've gotten the matching part right, they've gotten the communication part right, uh, but the innovation seems very low to me. It seems like there's a lot of experiments they could be doing, right? I mean, not like you know something with like restaurants. You know, you could do a partnership with uh, restaurant or locations or movie theaters. Right. Right. Do you think a, a booking, you could create book- bundles for sure. Right. Like yeah, say, yeah. Hey, you match with this person. Maybe you even pay up your service on bundle, uh, bumble to get like these bundling services where then you're able to get, um, you know, dinner for a reduced rate, a movie for a reduced rate, dessert, whatever it is. But I don't know. Yeah, that is, uh, I, I think the idea of like a bookings discount is a really good idea. And, uh-huh. uh, we saw a match group, by open table and try to go that way. So like you could schedule a date and then maybe eventually if they combine those is that apps integra- somehow. Is that integrated into Tinder yet? Cause if it doesn't so. integrate, I don't know. But without, uh, I would just say that a bookings discount seems like it would be much better than a table reservation for Tinder. Yeah. Or, uh, or Airbnb and too. Right. Yeah. That could be cool. That's interesting. Ryan, what do you got for future? Uh, growth mine's growth through acquisitions, which I seem, uh, I know that's not super, that's not as exciting as maybe a bookings discount, but it should be high on the list. And uh, that's for me, what makes match group so appealing is they have this diversified set of businesses. And I mean, online dating lives and dies by network effects and virality. I mean, we saw it with match.com. However, however popular what that was at the beginning, it's not as popular now, or maybe it hit stall speed, I guess. Maybe because it still has the it, same users, but it's not. Yeah, it's stalled out. It's stalled out. Which is just as useless as an investor as something dying, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I, I just going in, buying businesses when they're young, buying other dating apps, buying, um, I, I mean, I don't taking, there's nothing wrong with implementing the same match group strategy. Yeah, I and I think, I think a lot of these dating apps could go more niche. Um, especially if they can use the, you know, Tinder or Bumble to their advantage to try to leverage users. Like, all right, if you're yeah. into blank, blank and blank, or, you know, maybe just one thing, there's certain groups of people that, you know, like to date each other. Um, that's a big requirement for that. If they could go more niche with that, I think that could, you know, I could help yeah. a lot. Some people, yeah, it's good. You probably don't have as much scale that way, but 
they might be more monetizable, like yeah. uh, the Trump fan dating site, yes. Make America Date Again, or whatever that <laughs> whatever was. Whatever that was. I mean, say what you want about that, but that's very monetizable. Definitely could work. Definitely could work. What's your uh, future growth up? Yeah, so this is, I mean, it's a very simple one, but the international markets. So Bumble has not really invested heavily into the international markets yet. Tinder has done very well internationally. They've expanded. I think I was reading one time some transcript. Uh, that it took them a long time. Uh, it took them a few years because each market is different. The culture is really important for dating. So, you know, whether it's even India or Bangladesh or some other place in Southeast Asia, you might think that group, at, you know, the dating culture is similar, but they are actually quite different. Uh, so Bumble does have a lot of green space to go after. They said they really haven't started investing internationally yet. I um, mean, that might be just something they have in their SEC filings to get people, you know, thinking about, oh, there's a lot of growth ahead of ourselves. But um, I do think they have a lot of green space to go after. However, Tinder is very established there. They know the, you know, the cultures locally are at least you know, better than Bumble, and they may have some headwinds um, and have to spend a little bit more if Tinder has kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, a lot more users. I mean, but Badoo probably knows it as well as Tinder, That's like true. the That's true. European and yeah. Latin American markets. So, uh, you know, maybe leveraging that knowledge, because you're right, I think dating across different areas of the world is very different. Yeah. Um, but highlights and lowlights, Ian, you going first? Sure. So I think the highlights for me is just, I'm impressed with how the app has grown and especially to take on the incumbent, particularly after kind of her fallout from uh, Tinder to kind of be able to take what was a pretty negative thing and I think pretty devastating in her mind to her career and turn that into uh, t- Tinder's top competitor um, is pretty impressive. That's a that's a crazy story and like um, you know some people have talked about it, and I think we mentioned it too is uh, you know could be could be a great movie could be a great story someday, but um, kind of I was also impressed I guess by the average revenue per paying user of about $25 on Bumble uh, specifically. And so that just seems like if you're going to give, once you get people paying, if they're paying you $25 a year, that's pretty good for an app like this. I think um, yeah. it's the, they seem to be monetizing fairly well. The low lights for me are um, the private equity backing just makes it a little more complicated with the debt um, and just understanding exactly how the ownership structure is going to be post IPO. But we'll get some more clarity on that in the next few months, probably. And then also just the large incumbent. It's hard to battle against someone like Match Group, I think, with all the brands they have and all the data and the capital. Um, but interesting business. Yeah, the ARP number seems strong, especially when you think, you know, like, what do they have? 2.4 million paying versus 40 million total monthly active users. If they can slowly convert more people to paying, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. They have a lot of room to run. I hate using the term room to run with the, you know, paying users or something like that. But I mean, if they can get people to pay 25 bucks, that's, that's pretty is, good. Is it $25 a year in ARPU or is it Ooh, I don't know. per quarter? It might be quarter. It might be quarter. Yeah, I think it might be per quarter. But, but either uh, way, it's still good. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like the subscription price on yeah. dating apps. It's higher than like 25 for the year. Yeah. But um, um, all right, Ryan, you had. Yeah, my highlights, they've got great product market fit and online dating is, people use this all the time, this term, but it's it's the rising tide lifting all boats. Uh, they, it's not a winner-take-all market, in my opinion. I think there's going to be a lot of successful apps, uh, a lot of niche ones, and Bumble could succeed and Tinder could succeed, can succeed because users are using both. Um, 
So yeah, I, I like that. Um, another stat that I found and everyone's seen this chart, but it's roughly 40% of couples met online in 2017 versus about 20% uh, in 2010. Yeah, so pretty good. it's growing fast. Um, what do you then, guys think about, sorry, I, I, I'll, before you get your low eyes, what do you guys think about getting them into more of matchmaking where they try to get more specific? You know how there used to be, I don't know how old this practice is. It's probably, you know, a few decades old of matchmaking instead of just having a supply of one side and a supply of another side, they actually try to match people together. Oh, like, like they, the app does it themselves. Like using the data? Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think they will get into it or, or, or should they? Ian, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. It's it's kind of like in some ways there's some obvious um, benefits to that for the company, but I think it also gets into some kind of murky scenarios about, Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think that there may be some questions that they don't really want to have to answer about how are we matching people? You know, is there <laughs> any sort of discrimination going on? Things like that. I think it just opens the door for, um, yeah. some poti- potentially kind of sticky situations for them. Yeah, the, the, net, the net benefit might not be as good as any any downside there. True. There's massive tail risk. Uh, that is, it I, It starts to infringe on the, it starts to make me think of Facebook. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, continue. Ryan. But yeah, uh, my lowlights, and some people might disagree with me about this, but TechCrunch wrote a pretty damning article about Whitney uh, and the falling out at Tinder. And so, Based on there was a lot of witness accounts of what went on, so they she, the author interviewed a lot of people, and it really seemed like Whitney had sort of an obsession with credit, um, like receiving credit. There was this she kept referring to herself as co-founder, um, which whatever this was like seven years ago, but it just kind of makes me question where the priorities lay uh, of like credit versus returning shareholder value. Um, yeah. And also Bumble Biz seems like a waste of capital. Uh, it just seems like a waste of money. This, it's where you find like business partners via Bumble. I don't yeah. see how those two overlap at all. That's, but, that's I mean, that's Twitter really. Yeah. It, or LinkedIn, Twitter and LinkedIn. I don't know how you go from like, here, here's female centric dating to let's add a LinkedIn competitor. But. Definitely seems like a waste. And I agree with you on the CEO. I think there's a few red flags with there. Uh, one, the thing that Ian mentioned earlier with the cash payout of $125 million under the corporate reorganization. And then- You owe 19%. Uh, why, why do you need that? Yeah. Like, I don't know if they had to do it because of the PE guys wanted it. Um, that could be true. But there was also a time, uh, I think it was in 2019, when the company sent over $100 million to a Delaware limited partnership that is controlled by Tilson. Uh, so Who's I, I, what's Tilson? Or is that her name? Sorry. Wait, is Whitney that her Heard. Heard. Sorry. Heard. Sorry. I was thinking, I don't know. There's a Whitney Tilson, I think. Okay. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, the CEO founder um, is who they sent it over to with that $100 million. I think there's a few red flags there. Yeah. Um, there were to, some management concerns for me. Yeah, definitely. That's my big low light. I don't know. And I encourage anyone that's considering investing in this to go read that article because uh, yeah. it has some witness stories. Um, and some of them are kind of funny. Well, I but, mean, it kind of, yeah. But it's it, also, people might be biased. So true, keep that true. into account. Well, I kind of, you know, think about it as, what would you put her on at a one to 10, like Ehrlich Bachman scale from Silicon Valley? You know, I feel yeah. like she might be, without looking from the outside, like a, you know, a six on that um, and, and higher is, is not it, better. You yeah, the the obsession with credit thing was just a bit concerning for me. 
agree. And I guess the entire business model felt like it might have been developed out of spite, which seems like a strange motive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's powerful, probably. Like you know, and 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 I yeah, I understand the concerns about um about some of there. You know, it was a tough situation. I think at the end of Tinder, and I think there's some faults on both sides potentially. Yeah. Um, but I think there's the thing that I look at and that's impressive is the fact that she's built a viable competitor in the last you know six years, basically seven years since that happened. Like it's pretty remarkable to think to take that as a 20, I think she was 24 when she left Tinder and to turn that into this huge competitor. Um, like, I don't know, like the credit thing. I agree. I think that's somewhat concerning, but the fact like I care, I would care more about that if she hadn't done anything, but the fact yeah. that she's actually built this whole thing, um, kind of proves to some extent that she does put in the work and, um, she cared about credit enough that she actually started her own thing, I guess. And so in this, in this case, it may have been a benefit to her, but who knows? It's Maybe an, it's a interesting situation for sure. That yeah, might be a chip on the shoulder that makes it the number one app, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the track record is no doubt impressive. And I mean, she's you know young enough where, I don't know, she's got the experience of someone that might be, you know, a lot, a lot older. Um, and yeah. she can really use that to her advantage. Uh, I'll get my highlights. You know, I think the Bumble app at its core is a great idea. And I think we all know that the unit economics are strong. They're almost exactly the same as match group, right? In 25, 20 to 25% free cash flow margins, like 30, 35% operating margins. Um, let me see. I lost my point. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're riding the online dating wave. The tailwind behind them overall is huge and it's worth a lot of money. Um, yeah. And the founder, founder-led thing, you got to put some points to that. Although we did all talk about the red flags and um, yeah, that was my, that was all my lowlights is really just the management stuff. You know, the pre-IPO payouts, stuff like that. All right. Then are we more or less interested in, you want to go first? Yeah, I'd say I'm, and this is the bad answer, but I'm just about exactly as interested as I was. Um, I think this, if I was going to invest in a, um, in a dating application, I think it would be this versus match group, um, is my impression, but I'm not super interested in the space actually. All right. That's good. Uh, what, well, what valuation, I guess you said five. So if it, you're going to be interested, maybe take a deeper look at like a $5 billion valuation, something, something close to that. Yeah, probably. If it was down in that range, I'd say, okay, I should take a closer look at this. It's just not, for me, it's not an industry I necessarily am really excited about being invested in. Um, and so, uh, you know, it would have to be a very attractive valuation. Okay. Ryan, what do you think? I'm actually less interested. I wanted to like this business, like pre S1, all that stuff. I really wanted to like it. I wanted to be like, all right, this is the match group 2.0. Rumors were great. All the rumor stuff, you know, numbers and all that stuff was good. Yeah. And there was uh, definitely a sense of virality around like my college town. Uh, mm -hmm. People use this all the time, but the balance sheet and management red flags are making me less interested. Um, and yeah, the capital structure seems wonky. And uh, I guess maybe that's just stuff you got to dig through, but uh, I don't know, I guess just less interested than I was hoping to be. Yeah, I'm on yeah, the same boat. I mean, it's tough with no valuation right now. Obviously, at a low enough valuation, we'd all be interested. But from what we know, it's going to go out at probably at like eight to $12 billion or something around there. Uh, yeah, I'm just less interested. I, I like Match Group a lot better. Yeah, I think that's that, it's just that simple. I like their management better, um, even though we've talked about the management a lot on here. I don't know. And there's just the like, what if Bumble goes out of favor, mm -hmm. you know? 
um, there's always that risk and they really have sort of a key app risk right now, Badoo, I wouldn't buy Badoo on its own. Yeah, I mean, Badoo is an interesting example of almost every dating app that's been around that Stalls has out. scaled. It does stall out. Um, Tinder hasn't gotten there yet. It's probably getting close, potentially. Um, they're the only ones that have potentially had the Facebook level like of uh, breaking through that barrier and having that sustained runway of growth. Mm. Uh, but you would be going against the base rates if you think that Bumble can continue to grow, I don't know, indefinitely or, you know. Yeah. I know we're going long-winded, but I also just thought about this. Maybe some of that new last nine month numbers has to do with limited people on college campuses oh, uh, as far as user growth yeah, yeah, because yeah. they are so viral on college campuses. Interesting. Yeah. Some of the 2021 numbers will be important. Yeah. All right. Ian, anything else before you go? Nope. I think that covers it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. As always, make sure to use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off excuse me, your first month at 7investing. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on our next episode.